0: Hello, my name is Daniel Kelly and this is May Contain, the podcast breaking the stigma of what it's really like living with a severe food allergy. I have lived with a peanut allergy since I was five, so I've been talking about the different situations I've come across over the last 20 years living with food allergy, whether that's dating, going out with your friends, living abroad, hopefully give you guys like a really good insight into what it's like living with food allergy. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Making Sense. So I'm super excited about this episode. I'm joined by Matt Foster, who's a ex-Olympian swimmer, eight-time world record holder. So it was amazing, obviously, to get him on the podcast. But the reason I really wanted to kind of get him on the podcast is his good friend, Ross, who was also an athlete, died because of a severe peanut allergy. And Matt was with him throughout... The whole kind of allergic reaction and rushing to hospital so i thought it's really interesting to kind of get matt's like insight and story of what happened and i've also want to kind of take this opportunity as well to say thank you so much for everyone who support the podcast and make may tame. because without the support of you guys i wouldn't be able to get these amazing guests on the podcast and it's been incredible to kind of get all these guests which I would never thought I would have on the podcast and actually like speak to them and the podcast has signed up as like me and like a few mates talking about allergies so obviously seven eight months later to kind of get all these like incredible guests honestly it is like overwhelming and like I said I wouldn't be in the place I am right now if it wasn't for the support of you guys so thank you so much and I was going to say, if you're new to the Make & Tame podcast, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you do get a chance to write me a review at the end of the podcast episode, honestly, I really appreciate it. Let's get to the podcast. I'm joined by Matt Foster, and I think everyone around the UK would have known Matt, um, obviously being the eight-time world record holder. But for anyone outside the UK, could you do a bit of an introduction to who you are, Matt? Uh, my name is Matt Foster. Uh, I swam for Great Britain for 23 years at senior
1: level. Going to five Olympics, I won six world championships, eleven European championships, and I broke the world record eight times in freestyle and butterfly. Is that
0: is that for the fifty meters? It is, yeah. yeah. Fifty
1: meter free, fifty meter
0: fly. I was kind of lazy. I just did the one length. <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting. Before this podcast, um, I know you did you did a podcast with the past and present Olympian swimmers. I was saying that you you were saying to him like the fifty meters is kind of seen as like <laughs> the lazy because you're in the water then you're out again. Like.
1: <laughs> I, I, I look at it that we're smart really. Yes. You want to you get in, get it done, get out again. I always sort of said you start a wedding, one end of the pool, you get to the other end, you've done the distance, so just get out and carry on. No, I mean I was, I was fortunate. I was, a, I was blessed with fast twitch fibers, so I was a sprinter. My, my, kind of, my event chose me. Had I not had fast twitch fibers and not been very good at sprinting, I would have been a. I would have been more like Paula Radcliffe. I'd have done the marathon, and trust me, that's a lot harder than sprinting.
0: I can imagine. <laughs> I was going to say. So I, I also work at Tabeka, and you're one of the Tabeka's T-Petall ambassadors. Um, I've seen you around the office. I'll tell you, by the way, because I thought I was tall, and then I come across you, and um, I was quite say <laughs> <set. laughs>
1: I'm six foot six, and basically. Swimmers tend to be quite tall and it comes down to, people always go, oh, you're at the other end, you know, before everybody else, because you're longer, that's a nice sort of observation, but ultimately it comes down to
0: yeah. big
1: hands, they're your paddles, and big feet, they're your flippers, that's why swimmers tend to be a bit taller.
0: Yeah, sounds like I'm in the wrong industry, then I need to <laughs> rethink, I'm, a, I'm a too old now to get into it, well, I'm 20, 27 now. <laughs> How tall are you? I'm free, like. Yeah, i got to say, height helps
1: for something. It'd be like yeah.
0: basketball, it's yeah.
1: sort of like, but gymnastics is not, we're not very good being tall yeah. at gymnastics.
0: And I was going to say, I've, I've seen you around um Ted Baker office, the so kind of reason I really want to get you on the podcast, obviously, unfortunately, your friend Ross Bailey, who is a good friend of yours, unfortunately died from anaphylactic shock, which yeah. we'll get into in a second, but I've kind of seen you around the office and I've been wanting to grab you, so thank you so much for kind of... Coming on the podcast today to kind of show so before we kind of get onto the kind of the story kind of in detail of what, what happened brought up into Ross Bailey. How how did
1: you meet Ross? Um I trained down in at the University of Bath. Um so the University of Bath built a Olympic swimming pool, they built an Olympic running track, they had some great foot sport facilities down there. Um so my coach was employed by the University of Bath. So I went with him. Down to Bath, we had some of the best facilities in the world. Uh, and then our team, our group that I used to train with was some of the, the best swimmers in the world. So uh, I, I, I landed there, started swimming, started training. And then the, the, because I had the, the running track there, there was a, a, a great athletics club there, which had Colin Jackson was the, the main face. And there were some other athletes there. And Ross Bailey was one of those athletes who was going to be the next. He was touted as the next. Colin Jackson, the next uh, great British hurdling sensation. So um, I obviously swam in the pool, and then just above the pool was where the the gym was, and then outside was the running track. So whenever I went in the gym, I'd always see the athletes in there. And, of course, because it's a a small-knit community of sports people, we used to hang out together. So that's how I got to meet him. And uh, I knew Colin already, so obviously being Colin's friend. Ross was his training partner. We just all hang out together.
0: Quite close to the like, community, like you said, like everyone kind of like, gets to know each other during that time. Yeah. And did you mention, did did he live with his brother as well? Was his brother an athlete as well, Chris? Chris was not
1: down in Bath. I think oh, he okay. probably lived with his brother up in Scotland. When he came to Bath, he shared a house with Colin. Uh, who else was in the house? Tatum Nelson, who, huh. who, who was also an up-and-coming athlete. And then also down there was Alison Kerbertsky and a couple of other athletes. So, no, I... I his brother wasn't down in Bath. So they sort of, Colin shared a house with, with Ross and Tatum. I lived nearby. I had a couple of swimmers in my house. So outside of training, because of course athletes, you know, spend four or five hours training a day, the rest of the time we sort of hung out together and was just.
0: Yeah, uh, like, yeah. mates, yeah. Yeah, just like hang around, like a few beers. And were you both training? Was it for the European Junior Championships at the time? Is that what you were training towards?
1: Didn't really hang out and have a few beers though, because beers, we're professional athletes from the.
0: Okay, <laughs> just water then.
1: <laughs> no, we were. I, I was training at the time, it was, it was not long before the Athens Olympics. Two, actually, it was, uh, yeah, Athens Olympics was coming up in 2004. Um, but every year we have a major championship, so world championships, come off games, and everything else. And for, for Ross was sort of making a step from junior into senior. I think his best time was about 13.4 for 100 hurdles and Colin was running sort of 13 flat 12.9. So he wasn't far off yeah. breaking through on the international scene. And uh, he was just such a lovely bloke. Yeah. Such a nice, it was just nice to
0: be around. Kind of read online and what people have kind of mentioned, like you said, everyone was like, it's amazing boat to be around. And um, so Ross had a, a severe peanut allergy. Do you, did, he, did, did he kind of mention that at the at the time, or because I think as well back in the 90s, it wasn't that really common, was it, for people to have these like severe allergies? Um,
1: I, I, I'd heard the odd story around people that have died through anaphylactic shock you know, you read it in the paper, but you don't feel it or really you not become really aware of it because you don't know anyone that's that's got the the um allergy, yeah. And when I trained with Ross, I didn't know he had a nut allergy. Um, Colin did because Colin had been training with him before where Ross had had uh, an incident where he'd had something with a nut in it but he literally for, actually this day this happened, Colin was on the phone to me and he's, you know, we were all kind of joking and chatting and uh, I didn't know until this this point when it started happening that Ross had a problem with nuts Um, so I wasn't aware of his allergy, I wasn't aware what to do uh, and Colin was sort of, it was, it was all very, uh, it was very jovial, very banter. But at the same time, you don't realise the severity. You don't realise um, that from such a small thing, such a bad thing can happen.
0: And I mean, I'll talk you through it. I was going to say, sorry, as, as well, like, um, it's so interesting you kind of talk about like the, the banter side of it, because I had my friend on the podcast the other day, and he, he said, you just... As a kid, growing up, like when you're sixteen, you send you you joke about having these allergies. But I think a lot of time, like, like you said, like people don't realise the, the kind of seriousness or the consequences. And I think it's only recently, like, with it being kind of in the forefront of the news, people are now are kind of taking notice about the severities of these allergies.
1: Yeah, and it's really. I mean, I do a lot of, a lot of charity work around um, cancer. And there's lots of cancers, as we know. And um, I I go to a lot of uh, events where I play golf. Surprise, surprise. Uh, A lot of fundraising charity events where they're raising money for people that have either died of cancer, trying to find a cure for cancer, and all these other things. But for a long period of time, I never knew anyone that had been affected by cancer. So I was turning up and going to these events, but not really feeling it in in, in my heart, because it had never impacted me personally through friends or family. Um, and this was a thing with, with, with Ross, with his, with, his, with his allergy. I didn't get I didn't get that something like that, you know, even like someone with a bee sting, they can have an anaphylactic shock. Yeah. From a bee. I've been stung loads of times. I've been stung by nettles from bees and eating nuts. And, you know, we, we, all of us, unless you, you, you're aware or you know you've got a problem or friends of yours have a problem, you just carry on as normal. You carry on obliviously ignorantly, I don't mean that in a bad way, but you, you know, why would you think otherwise unless you knew otherwise?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, like I kind of mentioned like my friend, the reason I kind of mentioned him was like, he's two younger brothers later on in life, got dinosaurs with allergies as well. And he, he always said, he always said, if I wasn't around you, like going out, like nights out, like dating and, and that kind of side of things, like he would have never realized or understood, like the severities of allergies. For example, if someone eats nuts and they kiss me, then I could go into anaphylactic shock, and it's all these like little things you don't think about. And obviously, when his two younger brothers both got diagnosed with severe allergies, he was like, God, like, I'm so glad. Obviously, kind of getting brought up with you, you kind of understand it.
1: I, I do find it incredible because I, I, I look at you there, and obviously, knowing Ross as I did, you see this, uh, fit, young. You don't. You don't see. There's nothing on the outside that says that anything else is going on, and then you literally. That's what I say from a from a sandwich that Ross ate that had uh, sesame seed oil or, or peanut butter oil in it from the from the sandwich that he ate. That from that, which was kind of hidden, really, that then suddenly internally all these reactions can happen because yeah. you just think, well, you're fit, you're healthy. Well, you know? What's wrong with you? I can't see yeah. anything wrong. Yeah. Outside, you're not got a broken arm. There's, you're not in a wheelchair. You don't see anything.
0: Yeah, it's that like not a physical thing where, but, like, I've got a reaction. And could we could we kind of talk about the, kind of the tragedy? Of what did happen? So, were you with Ross at the time? And you used training? And you she was like, we're just gonna get a bite to eat from a sandwich bar.
1: Yeah, we trained together in the morning. We did weights. So we get we were, <laughs> we were going to go and play golf in the afternoon. So we had a little bit of time to kill. Go back to my my flat. Horse racing was on for whatever reason. Uh, And we thought, oh, we'll go and put a bet on the horse racing. So we went to the bookies, put a bet on, and on the way back said, oh, let's get a sandwich because it's nearly lunchtime. And uh, I went into this delicatessen that I've been into many, many times before, and there was nothing in there, no sandwiches left. So I said to the guy, he goes, I'll make you up a sandwich. So I said, what have you got? And he said, oh, Coronation chicken. I love Coronation chicken. To me, it's curry chicken. I went, oh, I like one of them. And uh, and said to Ross, what do you fancy? And Ross being Ross, who never wanted a cause anyone any grief about anything Well, oh that sounds nice I love the same now yeah. A I didn't know I've that allergy first of all B I don't even know if I did that there was peanuts in Coronation Chicken I don't know I'm, I don't think about those yeah. things but he could have asked for uh, ham and chicken sorry ham and cheese he could have had it whatever he wanted so I guess he thought also that's fine that sounds cool there's nothing wrong with that uh, so we got the sandwiches got back to the flat um, started eating and as soon as he, t- he took a bite he went, oh, there's nuts in there. And he knew it as soon as he bit it. Uh, and, uh, and then he, he went and spat it out upstairs in the toilet and then came down and we just sat there. And uh, I'd eaten my sandwich. And I went, so you don't want your sandwich then? And he went, no. So I started eating his sandwich. And we, that's what I say, we were, we were chatting, we were playing. It was jovial. He was coughing a bit. Took his vent But he was fine. Uh, and he'd obviously had lots of episodes before. Yeah. Um, Colin was on the phone at one point. He rang. He was in Athens competing. And he was going, oh, I'll tell Ross to shut up, I can't hear you, he keeps coughing. And So it was, that's why I say it was, it, was, it was playful, but also he'd been with Ross on a couple of occasions where it happened. Ross said to me, I'll be fine in 10 minutes, don't worry, I'll be fine in 10 minutes. Yeah, he just right.
0: to took time. it, yeah.
1: Do you want to make himself be sick? These things had obviously happened to him before. He was being sick, taking his Ventolin, and I went, you look, do you want me to take you to the doctor's hospital? I said, I don't know anything about this. You know, if you, you, you tell me you're all right. And he went, no, 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 I'm fine. And he didn't want to put me out. And, uh, and then about another 10 minutes have passed, and I went, look, you're getting a bit red. I said, you sure? You're okay. If you tell me you're okay, then you're okay. And I think it then suddenly dawned on him, he went, this is normally gone by now, or got better by now, and it started then freaking him out a bit. So I put him in the car, um, drove him up to the hospital or the doctors up at the university, um... Uh, and on the way up there, anyway, it's horrendous. I it was grabbing my dashboard, kind of. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Uh, of course, I was like, didn't know what the hell was going on. And I got into the doctors. It wasn't far away. It's probably five minutes in the car. And uh, he went straight in. The doctors, nurses gave him epipen and You know the. Um, it's an epipen, right?
0: Yeah, yeah an epipen.
1: Um and the uh, last I remember and it's horrendous the last I remember was in, in in the getting put into the back of the ambulance grabbing going, oh, I, I can't breathe I'm going to die yeah just... and they put him into, they put me into coma and, and sure enough two days later he
0: died and, and it was yeah horrendous yeah it's just so scary as well I don't think like people understand like when you have these severe actions you literally you, your net swells up and you, and you are you're literally suff- suffocating it's like someone putting a pillow over your head I can imagine like and um uh, Yeah, I can't imagine, like, obviously what he went through as well. But I think, I think you you kind of made a point as well. Like, when you're that age as well and you're at uni, you don't want to, like you said, make a fuss. You know, if your friend's like getting a sandwich, like, you you don't want to make a fuss. And I've always been like, if you're in these situations, always make a fuss about your allergies so that they take it serious. And like you said, he probably had multiple reactions before, but it's just an absolute tragedy that this is the one which, where his body couldn't fight it, essentially, and like the, adre- the adrenaline's not enough. And I think a lot of time, they think like the EpiPen's gonna save your life.
1: But I mean, I think it was no early life. I mean, he didn't even have one yeah. on him. Yeah. He had one at his house.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, I've got a friend that's, that's got a peanut allergy that I see every now and again now. He's, EpiPen, he's always in his car, so his EpiPen's in his car. Yeah. But then even then, in the workplace, from his car to the office is maybe, I don't know, ten, five, 10 minutes. But you know, my whole thing was about doing the stuff of the anaphylaxis campaign was, and I know it's changed, we're a lot more aware nowadays, but in schools, having an EpiPen in every headmaster's office, at work, having an EpiPen on each floor of a building, yeah. um, whatever, wherever it is, whatever it be, because, I mean, it's a pen. It doesn't cost an awful lot, but it can save a life. Yeah, you're absolutely, You're not about yeah. a vibrator, you're about uh, a little a pen. Yeah. So um, it's, that, it's, it's educating people, and, and I was educated. In a, in a shocking way, because I, I knew nothing. I I I I. Um, and that's what I say. This my my mate who was 21 years of age. Was really really fit, um, energetic. You know, bouncy. And you, 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 you physically you don't see anything on the outside. So I'm guessing um, something with, to do with your in your genes that your body reacts with something, yeah. and it makes you go into this shock.
0: Yeah, it's scary. It's, it's to do with like the the protein in the, in the in the nut, and um, yeah, it's it, like you said, it's petrifying because you don't know. You can meet someone like from the outside, you don't know if they've got an allergy just by looking at them, and like these things, like unfortunately, do tragically like I think kills twenty people a year, right? Like, so it is it is something which is like a massive educational piece, and I think what you said as well about the epipen, it's so important to carry it everywhere, and a lot of young people don't carry it. So I think everything by like, speaking with yourself and speaking with all these other guests, it's just trying to educate people and, 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 and to say to young kids or teenagers or whatever, growing up with these allergies, like it's so important to carry it everywhere you go because you don't know the time when you might need it then.
1: No, and it's also, it's, 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 you mentioned, you touched on it earlier, it's make a fuss in terms of, you only know, eat three meals a day, you might be out your mates for one meal. Well, nowadays there's so many, we cater for so many different dietary requirements from celiacs, you know, gluten intolerant, uh, you know, they they make you feel make you feel slightly unwell, but you don't tend to die of them like you do with, you know, nut allergies yeah. or So it's kind of like, but well, you know what? For that one moment, I am going to make a fast because it makes a difference between me living and dying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's been amazing to read. It's it's quite interesting because before I kind of got a job um, at AK obviously I I knew about you. Um, obviously, not just being the Olympian swimmer, but also being the patron for the Anaphylactic campaign. Was that was that where it happened um, a few years later uh, where, the, where you was like, I could actually use my profile to kind of raise awareness about this issue and raise awareness about allergies?
1: It was, it was, I, I was approached after uh, I mean, the, Ross's death. I went to the funeral. Um, and I do a lot of work around charities. I'm patron of Wellchild, which is you know for, for terminally ill kids about trying to find respite for them, nurses for them. Uh, I do a lot of stuff with Access Sport, Access to Sport and areas, SportsAve. Um, I'm involved in a lot of different charities, and I thought, well, what affected me more than anything in my life so far was Ross dying. So I was like, well, I know I don't have um, a, a nut allergy, but there are others out there that do have nut allergies. So I just thought, well, always try and help in an area that, that I feel connected to rather than... A charity that, and I do help lots of other charities because, yeah, I because I, I can, but also try and one that you really really connect with and you are, and you understand and you've been affected by it.
0: Yeah, and it, and and it it was quite amazing to kind of kind of see as well because they kind of um, supported me from my um, such a young age as well, and it is a bit like um it's a bit like um, a, a free sit really because um obviously kind of recently become like one of the the youth ambassadors for the charity and like you said it's amazing to speak with people like yourself like the patrons of the charity and to kind of it's amazing to see obviously using your profile to kind of raise awareness about obviously the severities and um obviously kind of share your experience what happened to ross on a a big platform which i think is is great to, to kind of use that to educate people um i was going to mention as well like you um I was I mentioned just before the podcast, I was trying to find uh, videos here of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, where you um, went on the show to raise the money for the Anaphylaxis campaign. What, what, what year was this? How, how many years ago was this now? Is this a while? Oh,
1: yeah, it's a long time ago. I'm trying, I, I, did, I did Strictly Come Dancing in 2008. Uh, I think it was the year after or two years after, because uh, I did Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with Heather Small, who was the lead singer of M People. Did I ever that group? you very no, young. Yeah. <laughs> You can you can search out M people, they're very good music. Yeah, so right. I did it with her and fortunately she had her, her brains in that day. And uh and we went quite a long way. I think we raised between us we raised thirty two thousand, so I think sixteen thousand went to the anaphylaxis campaign. So um yeah, no, it's one of those situations whereby I was a very, very I was a very good athlete swimmer. Uh, I got the opportunity to do Strictly Come Dance which raised my profile in what I call the real, the normal world was, the be- world.
0: was you better a dancer or better on who wants to be a millionaire then? <laughs> who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I showed you how bad I wasn't dancing. No, I, I,
1: I, I was fortunate to get asked to do Strictly because I basically had this amazing, wonderful experience. And uh, If you say to anybody whatever you're going to do, you get to be mentored or trained by a professional, then who, who wouldn't dance, who wouldn't sort of yeah, dance yeah. it, jump with it. So um, yeah, I was, very, um, I was very lucky. How did you get on the show? Did you go far then? I made it to halfway. That's I good. made it week, week six. So I did a, what did I do? I did a waltz, foxtrot. No, I didn't do a foxtrot, I did a waltz. I did a merengue. I did a, um, God, I can't remember all the dances now. Samba. Yeah, that's a doble. blade. Um, yeah, I learned lots of things that I would have never have learned before. And like I say, I had a, I had a professional dancer holding my hand literally all the time.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That. I actually used to do um it was quite, I actually used to dance as a kid, actually, growing up. Um, I think I started when I was 12. And um, I, I used to do jazz, ballet, and modern. And the reason. I did it. it was, I was really bad at football. So um I said, oh, Rio Ferdinand does ballet. Be, you'd be good for, you dribbling on the ball. So um, I end up doing ballet. I end up quitting jazz and modern and done ballet then up, in, up until about 17, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's one of them. I always kind of, I end I end up giving it up in the end, but it's one of the things I always wish I kind of carried on to kind of see where it took me. But well, to be you, fair, six, six foot three, you might be too big to be a bad Yeah, that's what I mean, jumping around everywhere. But I think as well, when you see other people more passionate, about you, then it, it, it you kind of like, oh, is this the world or what being? And I imagine like with swimming, when you see other people which are obsessed with it and so passionate, it kind of gives you that drive then to do better.
1: I, I, I was fortunate that I was surrounded by people that are better than me. And uh, I was surrounded by, I always sort of say to people, surround yourself with uh, people that are better than you in terms of you've always got um, people to look up to um i believe that human beings generally um copy other people that's how i would become better at something so i had some of the best swimmers in the world that with me and i just watched and copied and slowly more than anything their habits became my habits and you know ultimately it's about it's about having good habits so if you've got people with good habits around you you just basically copy them now if i'd have got stuck in with the wrong crowd I, I, their habits would have become my habits. So some of the time, at certain turns in my life, more out luck—probably more luck than judgment. All luck, than judgment. Um, I, I, I became a better athlete because of the people around me, and the yeah. environment I was in. I had some great facilities, great coaches, and and great training colleagues. So and that was one of the things being down in Bath when I was with, training with the swim swim team down there. I used to hang up with the athletes. So Colin Jackson. Uh, one of the greatest hurdlers of all time, the world record holder, a world champion. He was my mate, so hanging around with him, yeah. I sort of picked his brains the way that he, the way that he trained. I used, to, like I say, I used to hang out with the athletes because I found it interesting to learn from. They had the same sort of goal as me to win the Olympics, yeah. but they were doing it on land. And I was doing it in water, so I, I, I found it fascinating being around. You can take put ten people in a room all do the same thing but they've all got a different opinion and i think pick each people's brains and you know not not one person's got all the answers they've all got an answer which then you mold your own answer from that
0: it's quite interesting to see i was i was listening to a podcast by joe rogan the other day and he had kevin hart and you see kevin hart as this a bit of a joker obviously he's a comedian but he kind of talks about his journey and his story how like you you've got a like share your experiences so you can move on the, the generation before you so they can achieve what you've achieved and he said, imagine there's three different doors and the first two doors lead you to nowhere but the third door is success, then why, why would you not share your experience and make sure that they always go to the third door every time? So I think, I think, I think that's, that's yeah. that,
1: that whole, that whole analogy about you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink. Yeah. <laughs> so you can kind of, and I, listen, when I was a kid, I used to have coaches saying, you know, when I'm talking about when I was 10, 11 years of age, I was a bit of a, I'm going to say an idiot, that's unfair, I was a kid. I was a little bit, I was just a child, I was a child yeah. trying to find my way. And of course, I, I was easily persuaded in doing the wrong thing or choosing the wrong thing. And you've got people around you going, well, why are you doing that? Why don't you do this? And of course, at that age, you can't be told anything. Yeah. So my coach, who was kind of like my second dad, because you spend so much time in the water and so much, there's so much trust in that bond that um, I, I, I'm, I'm an athlete. I'm do what I'm told to do. So I was very fortunate that when I got to a certain age, I had people around me that I did what they told me and it was the right thing. And I just listened to them and they created an environment for me to be in, which was a safe environment, but a professional environment. So I kind of got molded into this sort of professional athlete and my mindset from. Um, the way it is today, which is always trying to be the best you can be at whatever you do. Got moulded from them, you know. That was yeah. that was just how it happened.
0: Yeah, it's quite interesting um, to kind of see your kind of insights of the way you think as well. Because I've always said to different, if, if we kind of refer to allergies as well, I'm always trying to say like you've got this a massive platform now. Everyone's got a platform. Everyone has social media to kind of raise awareness about allergies. and a lot of people are like oh, what what what's your key to like building an audience or and I think, like you said, habit is so important. If you could be consistent with what you do every day, whether that's posting one piece of content which is going to bring value to someone's life, it's so important to get into them habits and stuff. And a thing like um, I started reading a book the other day about habits because I think that's how success people get to where they are. So you think that was such an important part of your success?
1: Definitely, and it's about it's it's about creating good habits. And I think they say something that like, takes. 65 days to create a habit or something. Now, um, all the what I do around, what I know around food is only because Colin Jackson was one of the people who I used to watch him, what he ate, uh, and I'd always ask questions. I think that's another strength. Don't see asking questions as a weakness. Thinking you've got the answer, it's like we've well, got questions question. It's like I go into the, I go into the supermarket and I want to know where the soup is. I'll ask someone where the soup is that knows where the soup is. I don't go looking around for half an hour trying to find the soup.
0: Yeah. So
1: if I don't know the answer, don't be afraid to ask the question. Uh, and from being around him, I learned a lot around food. So my habits with food are good. My habits with exercise are, are clearly good because that's what I did for a living. Um, the one thing that I could do better at is I could, I could read more. Yeah. <laughs> but lots of books. I buy books and I go, yeah, 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 I'll read that. I'll read that. But as a, as a kid, I was an athlete, I think, because I wasn't very good at reading. So I have to force myself. Again, it's about creating a habit. Force myself and sit down and read and sort of nourish and educate yeah. my brain. I might only do 20 minutes every morning, 20 minutes every evening, but it's better than no minutes.
0: Yeah, you know, that's I'm what I mean.
1: Not, I'm, I'm not a sit and read for, for two hours because a, a <clears throat> the reason why I was a good athlete is because I'm a doer. I, I like moving I'm not I don't like sitting but then there's there's something to be said for finding the balance between the two
0: yeah I'm exactly the same I really struggle to read but I could listen to audibles or listen to a podcast so I feel, feel like 90% of my information is through audible or through like a, a podcast kind of thing it's kind of finding what it is what you can find it more easy to digest information really
1: absolutely we're all listen. We're all we're all work in progress. My hair, my hair's work in progress
0: at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say mine. I've had mine cut in about three months. i so at it, It's dead short. I'm. I'm looking forward to an haircut after this isolation. I'll tell you that.
1: I think that I think shaving the hair is probably the way forward. But I can't bring myself. I, I do used to do it when I swam, but I, yeah. I look a little bit like a matchstick. So I'm not sure I should do it again.
0: Yeah. Was you a bit faster then <laughs> when you shaved it?
1: Yeah. Well, it was either wear a swimming hat, shave your head.
0: Yeah. So I
1: didn't like wearing swimming hats, so I shaved my head.
0: Yeah, no, I don't, don't bother me. I just want to say thank you so much for kind of coming on the podcast today to kind of talk about like um, Ross's story and obviously the importance of always carrying the the epipen and um and, and kind of raising awareness about the the of allergies. And I thought it was quite insightful to learn a bit about yourself and kind of your success as well. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for everyone listening to the episode today with Matt Foster. Hope you guys really enjoyed it. And if you're new to the Make and Tame podcast, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Got some really exciting guests coming on over the next few weeks. So I'm excited to kind of share with you who them guests are. And yeah, thank you again for listening. And if you do get a chance to write me a view on iTunes, honestly, it means a lot. And hopefully more people can come across the podcast and listen to all these amazing guests. So yeah, thank you for listening. And I'll see you guys soon. Bye.